1: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour... You'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. We are very excited to get an opportunity to talk with Mark Nepo today. Mark is an author, poet, philosopher, and cancer survivor who has, for 30 years, been exploring how we can stay awake and authentic when our wounds make us numb and hidden, how we can minimize what stands between us and our experience of life, how we can create a practice that wears down what thickens around our hearts and minds. And today, we're going to talk to him about those very things as we explore together the meanings and the messages of his two books, The Endless Practice and *Reduced to Joy, The Endless Practice explores how the soul works in the world and how by engaging our soul in the world, we're shaped by the endless practice of becoming who we were born to be. Reduced to Joy is a book of poems about the nature of working with what we're giving until it wears us through to joy. All of his books, including the best-selling 7,000 Ways to Listen, The Book of Awakening and Staying Awake, The Ordinary Art, as well as the two already mentioned, have captured a world of people looking for meaning and the actual experience of life. His work has been noticed by Oprah Winfrey, who has interviewed Nepo on Super Soul Sunday several times, and has won awards such as the 2012 Books for a Better Life Award. Nepo is a man whose work and words and life demonstrate the essential meaning of life and who teaches us all how to find it. So this show is a special opportunity to come closer to your own soul. Stay with us throughout today. Mark, welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Well,
2: thank you. It's great to be with you. I appreciate it.
0: Well, we are very delighted to have you and I want to just sort of jump right in here and, and, and what I'm gonna do if it's okay with you is talk a little bit at first of the endless practice and then we'll talk a little bit about the reduced to joy.
2: Sure, sure.
0: Okay, well, first of all, this endless practice thing, when you first think about the idea of endlessly practicing, sounds pretty awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, endlessly practicing. But the truth is that we're, it is all about becoming who we're born to be. And one of the things you say at the very beginning of the book that I really love is, Wakefulness is not a destination, but a song the human heart keeps singing the way birds keep singing at the first sign of light.
2: Yeah, and, you know, and, and the whole idea of an, of the practice being endless, I, you know, I think it can be daunting because only because we are so imprinted um, in our society to always be focused on results and goals and ends and aims. And, you know, when you think about breathing, you don't want to be done with breathing. Hmm. It's true. When, When you think about love, you don't want to be done with love. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, the endless practice and how this really affected me and, and, you know, all my work, I really discover uh, what I learn. It's not like I have, you know, conclusions that I want to share with people. It's all one big inquiry for me and the books are the trail of that inquiry. And so, you know... I think humbly what, what starts to happen, at least the longer that I'm here on Earth, is that the, the very vitality and aliveness of being here is really what, it, what we're, we're kind of shaped for and grown into. And it's not about arriving. It's not about some end product or end point. It's about staying in the vitality of being authentic, of being real, and of, of being as awake as, as we can be. So it actually starts to become exciting that it doesn't end because just like breathing and loving and waking up, you know, I, I don't want that to end.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very well put. And, you know, it just says so much how the point of life is living, really living. Uh, right. And I think that's what you say again and again and again throughout your work in so many beautiful ways.
2: Yeah, it's uh, thank you. It's You know, it's interesting that um, there's so much uh, that's written and talked about about practice. You know, and, and practice is a wonderful thing thing that we practice to better ourselves to uh, become closer to what we're doing and and there's nothing wrong with having goals or aims but they're really kindling for the fire of aliveness I think we're taught to hold too tightly to our dreams and our um, our goals and so it's interesting that you know practice and you look at any sports figure practices for the game well the game for us is is being real and being alive and while I can practice all kinds of things from meditating to being honest to being thoughtful to being patient really it's all for the moment that comes alive that we can't prepare for and so you know practice sets aside uh, sets itself aside when things become vital and more often than not you know we can practice anything and it, and when we inhabit it so completely it stops being practice and it it opens up to being life itself you know there's a there's a wonderful little kind of story that that about practice there's there's a uh, a monk who's, uh, who's meditating in a temple. And, um, and, you know, he's very experienced. so he knows that whatever noises and disturbances, you have to unfold that into your practice. But he's sitting there and he hears this kind of scrubbing on the floor of the temple and he can't block it out. It really starts to irritate him. And he looks over and there's another monk who is scrubbing the tiles of the temple floor. Well the first monk he tries to ignore it he tries to absorb it it's part of it's part of the meditation but he he just can't today you know it just really uh is irritating him and he finally goes over to the other monk and he says what are you doing and the monk who's scrubbing the tiles on the temple floor doesn't look at him and he says i'm scrubbing the tiles of the floor until they shine like a mirror mm. and the first monk says, well, you can't do that. They will never become a mirror. And without looking up and without stopping uh, scrubbing the tiles, he says to the first monk, any more than you can meditate to enlightenment. Huh. And so it <laughs> it, doesn't mean, yeah, it doesn't mean that we don't practice. But I think the whole point is that we, we can forget. Get and sometimes hide in our practice mm-hmm. when the real moment is unrehearsed living
0: Oh yeah, very yes, very well said. I think that's really true, and we get shocked and surprised by all kinds of things in life, but they open us to another possibility inside ourselves so we, you talked about practices. Um, in the in just the you, you jumped right into the practices in the in the book and you talked about work. Uh, you talked about six different practices, work being the first of those. And we don't have to go every, over every one of them, but I wanted to talk about work because that's one of those areas where we have that tendency that you just talked about to be zo- so goal directed that we miss the point.
2: Yeah, I think you know, and actually, my I have a, a new book that I'm working on that's exploring the relationship between effort and grace. Mm. And, you know, I think that work work is only important in that it's an occasion for us to hold nothing back, to mm-hmm. give our all. And why is that important? Because that allows us to show up and be fully here. And the reward for being fully here is that we get to feel our place in a living universe. You know, we have this great thing called the mind, and so I can grasp oneness, I can grasp unity, I can mentally kind of see it, but it's only through effort and holding nothing back and showing up with an open heart that we get to feel oneness, we get to feel our connection to everything that's living and to every time, past, present, and future. So, so work is is important, and you know it's really uh, interesting. I talk about this there, but you know, any of us, myself included, you know, work is drudgery when I stop being where I am. You know, it becomes tedious when. I'm doing it, and I want to get away from it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all all tasks aren't fun. They're not wonderful. You know, we we don't like it, uh, a lot of things. But when we bring our full being and attention to whatever is before us, it not only makes it bearable, but we enter time instead of moving through time.
0: Yeah, so we're not thinking, when you know, I have to hurry and get this done because I want it to be over. We're thinking, look at what I'm doing. I'm in this moment of doing what it is that I'm doing. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yes, and so I can share, you know, something I've learned through the years in my own work of writing is, and it's taken me a long time to understand this, but, you know, discipline for me is not, we think of discipline as, oh, I'm going to stay focused so I can get into the work and get it done. For me, discipline at this point is knowing when to stop because I can work for hours. I can work all day. And what happens is as long as I am immersed in what I'm exploring, I am entering time and I am curious and it's filled with wonder. And I don't realize, we all know those moments when it doesn't feel like time has passed at all, but it's... Soon as I start to think, well, if I work another hour or two, I could probably get maybe four or five more pages done. Now, I've stopped being in it. And now, I'm making it a product. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I I feel that switch, which, you know, sometimes I don't feel it right away. It's happened until I become aware of it. But as soon as I'm aware of it, I have to stop and walk away because my heart's no longer involved
0: couldn't agree more I experienced that same thing in my own writing I know exactly what you're talking about so that's that's really uh, well said too because when you apply that to the everyday working world 9 to 5 you know we, we might need to rethink how many hours a day we're working and why we're working for that many hours a day and how we do salaries and that kind of stuff that might might really have some practical implications down the road somewhere along the way as we evolve
2: well and 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 also it it begs a different model in the sense that you know if i am centered and wholly present i can get more done deeply in a shorter time than if i'm not and i force myself to stay at the task longer
0: yes could not agree more absolutely yes well, let's talk a little about, about the practice of uncertainty because that just sounds so uncertain. It sounds, it sounds like we're, you know, how, was, how does one practice uncertainty? I mean, the book so clearly dis, uh, explains it. So I, I wanted to, to see if you could explain it to the listening audience now. What do, what do you mean by the practice of uncertainty?
2: Well, you know, so let's back up a second and that in our culture – Um, And this is not just the Western culture, this is globally, you know, in our modern times, we have become unaccustomed to to being friends with the unknown. We are very uncomfortable and anxious and fearful if we don't know what's happening next. Mm -hmm. Now, some of that is normal, of course you know, that it's kind of uh, disorienting to, to not know what's coming. But in all the traditions, and this is part of why meditation and just being still is important, is because things that matter take time to reveal themselves. We can't know the truth of a situation. We can't know our own truth if we're racing through our experience, because things just like if we think, you know now we have such instant you know cameras on uh, our cell phones to take. but you know, photography, one of the beauties of it before it became digital, was that it took time for pictures to develop and reveal themselves. So this is a nice and a helpful way to understand how things that matter, they take time to develop. And if we are not comfortable, if we don't lean into uncertainty, we will never give things that matter a chance to touch us. So what, what, how do we practice uncertainty? Well, like it or not, everybody has to make some kind of friendship with the God of patience. <laughs> <laughs> and, it you know, it's not easy. But I tell you, I first... My first real deep learning about patience and waiting was during my cancer journey many years ago. Because if I wasn't forced to wait, I wouldn't be here. I went through a labyrinth where each each turning point required a different decision and I had to I was forced to wait in the unknown until it became clear what was next, and only by one step at a time could I make my way here. So I think that waiting is a hard friend. And, you know, not everything that's unknown is difficult or painful. You know, that's another thing that I think in our culture is is really hard hard for us right now, and that is that, you know, um, well, just look at, a great example is look at the weather. There are all kinds of weather, but most weather stations are not even called weather reports anymore. They're called storm watch.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, not all weather is a storm. And one of the things in, in, in that's kind of the physics of experience is that when things fall apart, They make a lot of noise. When things come together, they come together mostly quietly. Now, from the beginning of time, things at once are always coming together and falling apart. When something is falling apart, somewhere else something is coming together and vice versa. But we are addicted in our time to the noise of things falling apart. So it's not about saying, oh, I want a good news station. I want a news station that lets in all the news, including how things are coming together. So that because there's a natural balance in the experience of the universe, that when we are not willing to lean into what's unknown, we miss at least half of it.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you would have missed your answers had you not sat in the silence for a little while and just listened and let things not be known until you until they were known.
2: And and that doesn't mean that it's easy.
0: No, it's not. Yeah, so we're going to take a break uh, in just a minute, and we'll be back with more from Mark Nepo. So you want to stay here for that? We got lots of more beautiful things to talk about. Come back in just a few minutes. Music. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: Are you just getting started on the path to metaphysical healing of yourself? Would you like to have some fun as you find out more? Join Julia Stubbe each week as she guides you through the Energetic Toy Box. This show will gift you the basic foundation and tools as you discover your spiritual path on a deeper level, encouraging the exploration of many facets and concepts such as chakras, healing, meditation, crystals, and more, so that you can use these in your daily life. The Energetic Toy Box is here for you every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. It's a new year and a new you emerging. Join Dr. Judith Long on the Eye of the Needle Show each Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Dr. Long features your call-ins and emails to her that emphasize healing and new information about personal transformation and ascension. You have your own unique gift, and it's something that only you can do in your own particular way. Explore that gift. Be all that you can be. The Eye of the Needle with Dr. Judith Long airs live Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave.
2: Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane. Right here on the Seventh Wave Network.
0: The Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Seek greater
1: awareness.
0: And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a Ph.D., a doctor of ministry, or in the holistic theology program, a doctor of holistic theology. The programs in which you may get these degrees are holistic theology, holistic health, holistic ministries, metaphysics, and parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and meaning, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. The population of students served includes doctors, lawyers, healers, nurses, ministers, counselors, psychologists, social workers, nutritionists, herbologists, homeopathy practitioners, psychics, mediums, and many others who have a special gift but need to learn to hone it and credential it. It also includes students who simply wish to enhance their own profound spiritual journeys. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your journey to your own authentic spirituality by utilizing, as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu Or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. And speaking of today, we are talking to Mark Nepo today on the Authentic Living Show, and we are very i um, fortunate to have him on the show, and we've been talking a little bit about The Endless Practice, and I want to just ask a few more questions about that book and then talk a little bit more about uh, the second book we wanted to talk about today, which is called Reduced to Joy. So uh, one of the things you said in the book, and this is a quote directly from The Endless Practice, is clearly we are both the flawed human being hacking through the brush and the hawk-like spirit gliding into what matters. I want to talk about that sort of two-planed existence because mm. I think that's something really very true for all of us. Could you say some more about that?
2: Well, sure. You know, we, we are a beautiful... Well, being human beings, we're a beautiful paradox because the being is infinite, but the human is v- very finite <laughs> and, and limited. So, you know, we, we, ought, we have to, uh, in time each one of us is asked to make some kind of marriage between our spirit and our humanity, you know, because our spirit and our soul is, understands things instantaneously, you know, and this is where I use that image, like a hawk doesn't have to worry about, uh, it just flies from A to B, it doesn't worry about if there's a path or a way or a mountain in the way, And so that part of us that sees, that understands, and knows where we're going or what's on the horizon or what matters. And then we're in a body and time on earth. And now we have to go a step at a time. And if we step in mud, we got to get through the mud. And if there's not a path, we got to build a path. And if there's a mountain, we got to go around it. Mm. And, you know, it's very easy and, and natural to be frustrated and feel like we're always falling short of what our soul sees, and our spirit can get impatient with our, our our limited humanity. And I think over time, what what humility is all about is, you know, there has to be some kind of agreement, friendship between that in us that's eternal and that in us that. Drops things, picks them up, cuts our finger, loses our way. Because, you know, this, I, I've come to believe that this, this being human is a messy, magnificent journey that no one can escape or bypass. And that the deepest lessons come from inhabiting our humanity In fact, I think by being, by fully inhabiting our humanity, and we can talk a little more about that in a minute, what that means, we, rather than finding heaven on earth, we're asked to release heaven by living here fully.
0: Yeah. And so what you're saying there is, and I really do want to follow up on that, is that our humanity somehow drives us closer to that infinite part of us? Is that close?
2: Yes. It's through our humanity that we, I think, become incredibly vital and alive. And uh, again, you know, everybody has different views. This is my view. No one has to agree with it. But my experience, you know, is that we we can't retreat from life as much as we'd like to. It's only by leaning into life that that the magnificent journey shows itself. So I'll give you an example. You know, my father passed away in the last year. He was 93, and uh, I had some wonderful time with him uh, during the last year. He was in and out of hospitals and rehab centers, and and. You know, I'm sure many people can identify with this. And there I was, and I found myself often feeding him when he was in bed. And, you know, it was a heartbreaking, beautiful, all things at once moment. Um, And I can remember feeding him applesauce and being so careful to want the, the, the spoon not to, like, jar him, but really move. Freely from his lips when he, after he took the applesauce. And so, how more human can you get, right? Absolutely. And when I was devoted to that moment, to that particular detail, you know, to like just focusing on that, something happened, and all of a sudden I could feel that I was in the moment of every child that ever fed an aging parent. Mm. And now all of a sudden, this wasn't a concept. I could feel, I could feel at one with everyone who ever loved a father or a mother as they were failing. And that is the beginning of resilience. I wasn't alone. I could feel the history of love in that moment. So it's through the very, very, particulars of our life that we get to access and experience eternity and this is what the poet William Blake meant when he said you can you know eternity is in a grain of sand Mm. it's not a concept it's through the personal we discover the universal
0: yes yes so that leads to the next thing I was going to talk about, which was that whole idea that you talked about in the book about vulnerability being such an important part of meeting a difficulty in life.
2: Well, yes, you know, there is, being vulnerable mean and being, you know, th- this is another thing that I'm sure other people have talked about, but, you, you know, strength and vulnerability go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And even in the Tao, the by Lao Tzu, he speaks to the fact that, you know, the things that are soft and pliable are what survive. The things that are hard break. Yeah. And so, you know, being vulnerable means having as little as possible between your heart and the world. Now, this is not to say that we go around and put ourselves in unsafe situations. That's not what I'm saying. We have to, on a surface level, judge what's a safe place to go, where who has earned my trust. Do I, you know, and not be blind about just exposing ourselves. But that's different than what I'm talking about at a deeper level. Our basic, you know, I can get uh, blindsided and hurt by someone. But that doesn't mean that I should make that a code to live by. Mm -hmm. We do ourselves great damage when I'm hurt by someone and now I say, well, that's it. I'm never going to expose myself again. That's what I learned. Because we remove ourselves from everything that can restore us and all the resources of life. So while I can get hurt and I can get bumped and I can get wounded and my feelings can get lanced, That's not a reason to remove my heart from the world. Yeah. Yeah. And And the heart, let me just add that the heart, and this is an amazing paradox, because when the heart is active, we feel so much that we feel at times, oh, my God, I can't bear to feel anymore. And yet the heart is the strongest muscle we have. It is Literally indestructible in an emotional way.
0: Absolutely, I agree. I agree. And that vulnerability, like you said, they go hand in hand. And I would even go so far as to say vulnerability is, is a kind of strength. It, it has its own kind of um, willingness to stand in it and be in it and, and find out what it has to give us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the word vulnerable comes from the Latin vulnus, and it means to carry a wound gracefully. Wow. And, and you know, at first glance, we might misinterpret that and think, oh, that means to carry a wound stoically. Mm-hmm. But that's not how I understand it. To carry a wound gracefully means to stay open even though you're wounded so that grace and everything that is not wounded in the world can enter you so it can heal you.
0: Beautifully said. Beautifully said. So, one of the things you say in The Endless Practice, which so clearly leads us back to the poetry of Reduced to Joy, is this statement It's tenderness that forces us to be kind. In one, in one poem after another, in Reduced to Joy, you push us to our tenderness. So, one line from the poem Coming Out uh. under, I love that one. Under the need to problem solve is the need to being solve. Say more about that, would you?
2: Well, let let me, actually, let me read that poem, and then we'll
0: Great, please do.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, coming out. While there is much to do, we are not here to do. Under the want to problem-solve is the need to being-solve. Often with full being, the problem goes away. The seed, being-solves its darkness by blossoming. The heart being solves its loneliness by loving whatever it meets. The tea being solves the water by becoming tea.
0: Hmm.
2: So, so, you know, we're a curious mix of being and doing. Obviously we have to do, there are things that have to be done. So it's not about stillness and motion, but it's, but what, I'm exploring here is there, there seems that we, 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 each of us carries a teacher soul and a student self. Mm. We have a deep, and this gets back to the hawk that glides and the person that stumbles through the mud in the brush. So the part of us that lives closest to the world, you know, we're problem solvers. And problem solving is a good skill, But again, it's not an ethic to live by. It's a skill to serve a deeper sense of being in the world. So the part of me that that meets the world, I'm a problem solver. And very often what happens is I hit a problem and then I go, you know, if I wait and if I'm still enough, I will bring it to my deeper self and wonder what does this mean? And what, it, what is what do I really want to do about it before just reacting? And often that deeper self, the teacher soul in us, um, will even will often ask us and say, "Are you sure it's a problem?" Hmm. And you'll recognize we all get into this conversation, this argument with ourselves. Well, that's not very helpful. I don't have much time, and I need to solve this problem. And you know, you want to ask all these questions. Well, but that's what happens is when the deeper part of us often asks us to look at things from different perspectives, to understand where we are and what we're doing before we act. And so the seed solves its darkness by blossoming, by breaking in time through the soil and following the light. This is one of the great acts we can do. So what does that mean for us? That means that often, often while we can run here and run there and do this and do that, nothing is going to change our basic darkness or our basic lack of understanding except for us to break ground and become all of who we are. We run all over the place, but you know it was John Cabot Zinn's beautiful book who said, "Wherever you go, there you are."
0: Yeah, yeah. We can't get away from it, can we?
2: <laughs> and it, no, we can't. <laughs>
0: and that's right. And and it, and and you said that so beautifully that that the whole point of any problem is sort of to bring us to that place where we become more being.
2: Well, this is you know this is where I love in the Hindu you know and I'm a student of all paths um, and you know I uh, in the Hindu tradition I love the deity Ganesh or Ganesha are you familiar with Ganesh? Yes. yes 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 so you know Ganesh who's often portrayed as an elephant and actually I'm in my study and I, I didn't realize it because I love Ganesh is that I everywhere i I go and I see them I get them so and then one day my wife said oh you're collecting ganeshes and I said oh I guess I am uh, <laughs> and so I'm surrounded by them right here where I'm uh, where I'm talking to you and ganesh and this is very interesting because in the judeo christian tradition we pray to saints and sages to get us out of trouble okay All right in the hindu tradition ganesh is the provider And remover of obstacles. Now, what that tells us is that obstacles are put in our path because they're teachers. And we don't like it, but often they're put in our path, and and Ganesh provides them, and the world provides these obstacles until we learn what it is we were supposed to learn, at which point the obstacle dissolves. Or we see in a different way and we realize it really wasn't an obstacle in the first place. And I, lo- I love this and I have to say in my life it's true that so many things that I've encountered that have appeared obstacles. And I have a great kind of funny story that um, with my oldest, dearest friend
0: we're going to let you finish that story right after the break. Uh, I, I really want you to go there because I really want to hear that. So, But we're going to take a break right now. Sorry to interrupt you there. Okay. And uh, and we will be right back with that story. So hang on for that. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: What is spiritual spelunking? It's basically an exploration of the truth, our own unique truth. Every single person in the world has a reason to be here. Although we are told many things, it's ultimately up to us to figure it all out. The search continues throughout our entire lives. Join host Giles Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on this journey. Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you a spiritual seeker? Have you always pondered the deeper questions in
2: life? Have you looked at many spiritual paths and found some answers but are looking for more? The Open Door. Brought to you by the Summit Lighthouse Brings you each week practical spiritual teachings And tools that promote self-mastery,
1: higher consciousness And the opportunity to connect with the Ascended Masters Join Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy As we explore the universe of spirituality
2: Live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time On
1: the 7th Wave Channel
0: Visionary. This is the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel.
1: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll free 1 472 5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
0: back and ready to hear that story everyone's sitting around the fireplace with popcorn and waiting to hear your story now mark go ahead
2: so yeah my oldest friend and we went up to montreal to to visit they have great botanical gardens and especially They have the largest bonsai collection in the world. And so we went there. We drove from Auburn, New York, four, five hours. We got there. And as we walked into this huge acre, this field, there was a huge gate, like a Chinese temple gate. And we got up to the gate, and it was locked. And I immediately started to feel upset. And, like, I called. It's supposed to be open. You know, who do I talk to? Two, we drove all this way. And while I'm fuming, you know, getting worked up, all of a sudden, Robert, I can't see him. Where is he? You know? And now I say, oh, great. Now he's gone off. And then I hear him in the distance call me. So I, I'm following his voice along the, the wall of the gate. And I get far enough that it was beyond our view when we were standing in front. And it was a facade. It wasn't a wall. <laughs> It was a facade, and right at the edge of it, we opened up into an open field where all the bonsais were in different little buildings waiting for us. Wow. So it was a humble and a profound lesson that, you know, before you're ready to bang down a locked door, <laughs> make sure it's even a door.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. <laughs> and
0: and so many of our problems are our doors, and and we're trying to – we're not we're not actually seeing them in those doors or you know there's a lot of ways to turn that metaphor around <laughs> all right well i want to talk to you about the one that's called so much is carried you tell the story of rescuing a little dog saba and i wanted if you will to read that one because it's just so powerful
2: oh well sure well this was our first my first dog and which was extra poignant because up until that time, I had a fear of dogs growing up because I was bitten. And so in a, lot, in a profound way, I learned I'm a great dog person now. I learned to love what I feared. So, yeah, this is, I'll just, uh, I'll read it. Um, so much is carried. When just a pup, I took her into winter. While Paul photographed the heavy snow, she, having never run free, circled wildly her little nose caked with white. She slipped and broke the ice. I can still see her puppy face underwater, looking for a way out, her tiny paws swatting at the thick, clear deep. With no thought, I was waist-high and wet. Sweeping her into the air, she flew a good 12 feet and landed with a thud. She shook and started to shiver. We rubbed her down for two hours, blowing her with an old hair dryer. I held her in my shirt near my heart, the whole way home. I'm 14 years and seven states away, and she has died, my first dog. I close my eyes, and there she is, grown, sniffing the air in an open field, smelling things I couldn't even sense. How many times I've played that day in the pond, her struggle underwater, her drying on my chest. How much that day has shaped my art, Always jumping in and sweeping what has been baptized in the deep back into the world, always holding it near my heart as if my life depends on it.
0: So beautiful. Well, thank you. Uh, you know the, that 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 beautiful thing that Emily Dickinson talks about when you're you know your the top of your head pops off and that's how you know it's a poem. Oh, yeah. It's it, that those last lines are so profound because that is. What the very thing you were talking about in the endless practice about that tenderness that forces us to be kind that says, I feel what you feel, and I know what you are experiencing, and I'm here in it with you, and therefore I'm here in my own life.
2: And so, and so, this is this proves to be a great teacher. This metaphor, this moment with my first dog about the challenge we all face continually between love and fear. Mm-hmm. So, this is what I meant about leaning in and not holding back because if I didn't love that little puppy, I would never have gone into that iced pond. I would never have jumped in. Absolutely. And so this is a metaphor for all of life. It's love and tenderness that that in an instant, beyond all of our thought and precaution, makes us jump in the pond and throw whatever we find in there to safety and then to hold it and then to care for it and, and all the way home. And so this is, this is why, um, you know, or the moment that made me, you know, feed my father his applesauce. Yeah. You know, and we don't, we don't prepare. This goes all the way back to our first practice in the beginning of our conversation. We don't practice jumping in the pond. We don't practice feeding a dying father applesauce. But we do practice keeping our heart open. We do practice not being ruled by hesitation. We Mm -hmm. do practice following where our heart leads and then listening to what it has to teach us.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I love the metaphor of what's been baptized in the deep because that is such a... Rich way of saying that what's dark and hidden inside of us that we might think of as not so good or bad is actually some is sacred in some kind of way.
2: Yes, it's all sacred. Yes, I agree. And that goes back to the messy magnificence of being human. Mm -hmm. We are too focused on happiness. We actually, I think, uh, hide in our want for happiness when it's the full range of human experience that releases the spirit yes
0: yes absolutely absolutely well before we go any further i want to ask you if you will to tell the listening audience um how they might connect with you what you what things you might have going on that they might want to hear about those kind of oh, things
2: sure thank you yeah so there's two websites um uh, dot and three intentions, all spelled as one word: threeintentions.com. Uh, and and also there is, um, you know, a, a schedule. I'm teaching. Uh, you know, starting in April, I'll be out teaching about twice a month and in at conferences and holding retreats. And you can find a whole list of where I'll be. And um, and if, if you want to join me and, and uh, journey together.
0: Wonderful, yes. So that's on your webpage. Wonderful. All right. Now, I want to talk about a funny and beautiful little poem in your book called Rumi Goes to Washington because that, it just uh, is so potent for so many externalities about life.
2: Well, let me, I think we have a time. Let me read it and then we'll talk a little. Uh, Rumi Goes to Washington. (laughs) He couldn't find a place to tie his camel when a quiet man in a uniform took the reins and showed him inside. He sat for the longest time on a sofa staring at the enormous chandelier. So many jewels, he thought, each like a soul God has placed on earth and scattered. He felt the chandelier was a messenger, saying without saying, when you can come together like this, Your love will conquer gravity and you will hover like this enormous glittering light. Just then a pretty young woman asked if he wanted to register. He wasn't sure what that meant, but he went along. In the days that followed, he kept seeing the many jewels scattered. Then others came and brought him to meetings where he listened to men and women carve up the resources of their great nation. And beneath the noise of their benevolence, He could see inside their chests, where each carried a light that was throbbing below their proposals. When it was his turn, he whirled around the room, touching each jewel's heart. Then he sat and stared at his hand. Finally, the leader of the group leaned over and gently asked, What does this mean? Instead of talking, he took the leader's hand and put it on his heart. Well, The meeting was no longer a meeting, and some wanted to get closer while others wanted to run. He was driven back to the hotel where he spent the afternoon listening to the chandelier.
0: I just love that poem. (laughs) Thank you. I just love that poem. I love Rumi in the first place. I've read much of his material, and, and I just you just imagined all of that whole scenario and what in the world were you thinking when you, when you did that?
2: Well, you know, I, I I mean, an artist's job in any form is to marry what is with what can be. Mm. And so, you know, I was in a hotel and while I was going to speak somewhere and I was, you know, waiting to register in a hotel in Washington and there was a chandelier and, and I just got, you know, taken with it. And, and, and again, you know, this is just, I don't like, oh, I had an idea, and then I'm going to write this poem. It's being in conversation with what's possible. So then, all of a sudden, I just kind of felt uh, Rumi's presence and the presence of all poets throughout the ages, and... And suddenly, I just felt like, well, what if Rumi were here? You know, and it the re- and just followed the 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 rest of it kind of unfolded. But I think what it what it speaks to, and and I discover these poems. I, I don't, you know, and then they become my teachers. So I didn't know what was going to happen in this poem until I wrote it down, and then I have to be with it to try to understand it. And I think what it's talking about is, again, the courage for us to be who we are everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. the courage to, to uh, you know, put our hand on our heart or to speak our mind, to speak our truth and to take the risk to be authentic regardless of the situation. And yes, some people are going to want to run some pe- and some people are going to go, oh my God, I thought I was alone. I didn't know. You know, I think, I think in, our, in, in our age, you know, the largest, and you know, the phrase being in the closet, of course, from, from the gay experience and population before, they were wonderfully welcome now. Um, but I think the largest closeted population in America are the closet authentics.
0: Oh, yes. I agree. And I agree
2: yeah and you know and and this is where it takes courage because most of us, Kierkegaard, you know the great German philosopher, said we're all spies for God, mm-hmm. and you know I think what he means is you know we're all we 're all hidden we're all and again this is not this is not to say we shouldn't measure who earns our trust and we make choices about how much to share. I'm talking at a deeper level I'm talking about my presence. I can be with you. And I can be fully present or not. And no one will know but me. Mm -hmm. But the damage is that when I am not present, I remove myself from life. I cut myself off from the vitality of life force. So the courage, I think the poem is really, the lesson in it is that regardless of whether we're well received or not, we need to show up and be all of who we are. So we can stay connected to our aliveness, absolutely.
0: And the aliveness of whoever we're with. How how can we ever know or understand another person if we're not present with ourselves enough to know who's in the room?
2: Yes, and then when you know when we do dare to, I mean, we learn a lot when we. I think this is a skill that none of us are good at in this world, this modern world, and that is that we, you know, we, we tend to be authentic in small tribes, and then we are hidden out in the world. And we need to develop a respectful invitation in between so we can say to other people, you know, I I sense that we could share more. Do you want to? And if they say no, it's okay. But if they say yes, then we say, Oh my God, I thought I was alone.
0: Yeah. Wow, what a profound statement. Oh my God, I thought I was alone. And that is so true here in the Western world in particular where the you know the in in this tough individual is the sort of thing we're trying to accomplish, though it has shifted some, it's still there. very much so. Well, Mark. I would like to talk with you for the rest of the day and tomorrow yes. and the next day. So I really would enjoy another time with you coming back to the show. So please come back. I'd
2: love uh, to. Thank you.
0: Yes. You have an open invitation. Just have someone contact me and we will, ha- we will have you back because I love talking with you. And I'm sure our listening audience is benefiting greatly as even as we speak from what you've had to say. I bet they're taking notes.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you. That's kind of you. Yeah. yeah
0: it's true. And uh, so... Uh, We're going to have to close out, however, for today and end this wonderful experience and uh, move forward to the next one. And um, so we're coming back again next week, same time, same station. We want to facilitate your journey to your own authentic self. So don't miss this special time to focus on that journey. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. (laughs)